I am India Ari, and this is my podcast, Songversation, where I choose one of my songs and I riff on that song, simple as that. But it's never really simple because there's always much more of a story to tell than I know in the beginning. And the truth is, my intention is that you hear yourself in my story. And so my highest wish is that we learn about ourselves together through the process of this songversation. And so welcome. This is episode 15, Songversation, Steady Love. Welcome to episode 15 of Songversation, the podcast. This is Songversation, Steady Love. As I was doing the intro, I didn't, I forgot to remember (laughs) or to consider what song this episode was going to be about. And so I just let what wanted to come out, come out. And that was Steady Love. And so I have no idea what I'm going to say. You've heard me say that many times. But I'm sure something will unfold because it does every time. And so let's get into this songversation, Steady Love, and see what this song wants to teach us today. Um, yeah, I just woke up this morning ready to do a podcast, and it's been a long time. I'm sure we'll get into why it's been so long. I can't imagine that's not going to be a part of this podcast, but we'll see. And so before we go any further, let's listen to the song. And of course, I have to say... I'm sure the biggest reason why this song came up as the song conversation that wanted to happen today is because it's number one at Urban AC Radio. Hey, <laughs> what y'all say? Touches my soul and my spirit. 
to him, sleep near him, walk with him, be with him Lovers and friends and mother, his children Make breakfast on Sunday and fight and then make up again Cause if life's gonna be crazy anyway I wanna do it with him Steady love, hey Ooh. Um. Steady love He's a good father He's a good cook he loves his basketball And he loves a good book I'll tell you how I know He's the perfect one for me Cause he's a warrior in the streets But he's a king in the sheets He's giving me love So steady He touches my heart Now I'm ready he touches my soul and my spirit He's giving me love so steady He's giving me love so steady That is Steady Love from my eighth album, Worthy. So you know I'm going to do it. Here we go. I have eight albums, Acoustic Soul, Voyage to India, Testimony Volume 1, Life and Relationship, Testimony Volume 2, Love and Politics, Songversation, Songversation Medicine, India, Ari and Joe Sample, Christmas with Friends, and now... February 2019 release, Worthy. I really don't even know where to start with this, but let me just address the elephant in the room and let's talk about the video real quick. So I have known David Banner um, loosely just from music industry circles. But when I first came into the industry, I was nervous all the time. There was a lot I didn't understand about myself. If I was 25 years old, my first album came out, so I was learning a lot of the basics about myself. But what I'm referring to right now is learning that I am an empath, meaning a person who absorbs the energy around them, readily absorbs the energy around them. And so when I came into the music industry, I was always really on edge because there were so many energies around and what I understand now, so many um, competing energies and disharmonious energies. And I mean that, I feel like a lot of the people were out of harmony with themselves, but also out of harmony with each, with each other. So there was like a lot of disharmonious energies around. And so I was always exhausted and feeling anxious. And so whenever I would be with a person who felt, whose energy felt good to me, they stood out. And so actually having said that, this might come as a surprise to you just based on his image. But one of the people that stood out to me in the very beginning was P. Diddy. I did the uh, MTV Music Awards. And that, one, that award show was always known for being kind of like wild. 
Um, I did it with John Mellencamp. We did a song together called Peaceful World. So they, I wasn't invited to that show, but he was, and I was there to sing with him. And, you know, things are a lot wilder now. <laughs> this was probably 2001. This was 2001 when we did this song, and things are a lot wilder now, and all the shows are wild. People wear see-through clothes and, you know, thongs on TV and twerk and cuss and, you know, all kind of shit. <laughs> I said that on purpose like that. But um, back then, it wasn't really like that just yet. And so the Music Awards was kind of like the wild one. And I was uncomfortable there um, because I'm more comfortable in calmer environments. It's just how I am. And Puffy was having an after party. And the way he spoke to me just made me feel good. I liked his energy. And I remember that day he said, you're good and you're different, and that's a beautiful combination. Nobody had ever really said that to me like that. Anyway, back to David Banner. So because of how things were and how I was and what I was learning, I would see he's one of the people that I would see, and I would think, I like that energy. I didn't, it wasn't that I thought he was handsome or none of that. I just liked his energy. Um, Snoop Dogg was one of those people. Joe, the R&B singer Joe, was one of those people. I mean, I guess I can't remember everyone now. Patti LaBelle was always one of those people. I would say she's the original person. Stevie Wonder was one of those people. You know, I can't remember everyone now. Some more names come to mind, I'll tell you. But David Banner was one of those people. And what I found fascinating about him was that his music was the exact opposite. His music made me feel so anxious. It was raunchy and graphic and all the stuff that I actually... Was the po it was actually the polar opposite energy of everything I stood for. And so, but I didn't really know his music when I first started seeing this very bright light man who would be in the room sometimes. But when I was working on my album, Testimony Volume 1, I reached out to him to do a guest appearance on my song, Psalms 23, which ended up um, featuring MC Light. But I reached out to him first. And also, we were on Motown together, so I reached out to... Um, my dearly departed friend, Elise Wright, to see if she would ask him if he would feature on my album. He had just released the album, and so I listened to it, and when I heard the songs, I thought, I can't have this person on my album. And so, you know, we're all, back then I found it really fascinating that he could have such a bright energy and music that could be so crazy to me. This is all my opinion, of course, but it's how I saw it. But, you know, I understand now we're all multifaceted. We're all, um, what's that word? Um, contradictory beings. I am too, just as much as anybody else. I just do my contradiction more quietly. You know, I've done um, a little bit of self-destructive things, all that. I just do it in private. Or should I say I have done it in private when I was that way. I'm a lot more grounded now, but that's because I got it out of my system. But anyway, going back to the point, um, so David Banner, when the album Worthy came out, my ideal, and still is my ideal, in fact, was to do four videos. That was an arc about the relationship journey. And so it started with that magic. And I had uh, the closest thing I have to a celebrity crush, Lyric Bent, as the, um, the lead man in that video. And so for Steady Love, I had someone else in mind who got stuck on movie set and couldn't come. And so four days before the video, I reached out to David Banner because I had him in mind for the final video of the arc. 
And he said yes. And I've, one of the things I've come to learn about David Banner is that he moves fast and he stays in constant movement. When I reached out to him about the video, I didn't know that about him. I just, I, I thought it couldn't hurt to ask. All he could say was no. But he said yes, and I said, well, don't you want to hear the song? He said, yeah, send the song through. But he said yes before I even sent the song, and he showed up on set, and I was nervous um, because we didn't really know each other. I just knew that he was a, a bright light. Also, I have to say that um, you know, anyone who follows him knows he's gone through his own personal evolution, and he's, um, for his own reasons, you can listen to his podcast if you want to hear him talk about it, but for his own reasons, he's developed a more spiritual, developed the spiritual part of his life. And so he, I would see him um, on occasion, and he would always say, if you ever need me, I'm here. And so I saw him in March at the Trumpet Awards where I got to sing my song, What If, during Black History Month. And he came down the hall and he took my hand. He bowed to me, <laughs> which I'm a sucker for. And he said, if you ever need me, I'm here. And so when it was time to do this video, I thought, let me see if he can show up. And four days later, he did. We shot the video in Nashville and he came. And... He was a joy to be with on set. He was a strong energy, a strong presence. He knew what he wanted. Um, and because his presence was so strong, I followed his lead on a lot of things. But also one of the things I learned about him that day was that he's done 27 movies. And so since he's been in front of the camera a lot, I decided it couldn't hurt to follow his lead. But also I think when you invite a man to do something, you gotta give him some leadership, um, wait, some leadership power. And so I did, and I'm glad I did because he taught me a lot. So there's a scene where we argue on set, and he said he would go, he would shoot something and then go back and look at this, the camera every time. And so that was actually an inspiration too because normally when I do things, I don't go back and look at the camera because I'm not in movies, and the director always would seem like irritated, like you don't have to look every time. They don't say that, but they always would give a vibe like, here she comes looking again he would just walk over there and look and they didn't say anything. And so I'm always gonna go back and look at every take now because these videos are mine. But anyway, but um, having said that, he would go back and look at the takes and he would report back to me. And so in that fight scene, he said, you have like a hint of a smirk on your face. Oh, I do? Cause you know, I was amused. I loved being with him in that way. And so I took that smirk right off my face when he said it. And he also said, you gotta start the scene before it starts. So, you know, you're over off to the side, you're mad inside, you're arguing inside, you've already been through the stuff inside. And then when she says action, you're in it. You don't start when she says action. And so that helped me to get the smirk off my face too. And so there was a lot of stuff like that that he was able to coach me through and I loved that. Um, you know, I don't know. I think that also it helped that I had my, my friend, my best friend, who helps me run my company, Soulbird. I consider her the um, CCO, Chief Creative Officer of Soulbird. And so she had to talk with him before we got on set, because I was like, can you just help me smooth this over? It's the same thing with the That Magic video. Like, I invite this gorgeous man, and then he shows up, and I don't know what to do. <laughs> and so she had to talk with him, and he said, no, she's in good hands. And she came to me, and she said, this is going to be great. And I trust her instincts. And so when she said that, I got onto set very comfortable. And actually, David 
came into my space and had his makeup done. And so I think he came into my space intentionally so that we could be sure to like kind of mingle energies. And <laughs> he's an interesting dude. He's very authoritative. And so the glam squad was in my room and he said, uh, can everybody leave? I wanted to have a talk with the queen. And so they all left and you know, we held hands and he looked into my eyes and he said, you know, I'm here for you. Thank you for inviting me. I want you to know you're in good hands. It's going to be a beautiful day or stuff like that. I don't remember exactly what he said. And I said the same thing to him. I said, I'm a supporter of yours, an admirer of yours. I'm happy that you're here. And I said, I'm getting the feeling that I'm glad my other friend couldn't do this because this feels just right before we even got on set. And so we got on set and we started doing the scene with the pancakes and the director said, okay, turn around and kiss him. She's, she's from Australia. Turn around and kiss him. And for a split second in my head, I was like, oh shit. But that split second passed and I turned around and I kissed him and it felt so comfortable and at ease that I knew I was in good hands that day and we went on to shoot our video. And every time she would say, turn around and kiss him, I would do it gladly. And so anybody who's wondering, his lips felt nice, his breath smelled good, his hands felt good. It felt good to be in the arms of somebody who's that size. I'm not really a big person, but I'm also not small. And then my energy is very big. And so he was big enough to hold my energy. And I liked all of that. We laughed, we had fun. Soon as the video was done, he got in the car and flew home. And so, I guess we finally got to the elephant in the room. Anybody who's wondering if we're an actual couple, I will say this, we were not a couple at that point. <laughs> we, were friend, we were getting to know each other at that point. And we've developed a nice friendship and relationship since then. Um, yeah. So I wanna talk a lot more about the song in this next segment. So the song Steady Love was co-written by myself and the executive producer of the album Worthy. His name is Aaron Lindsay. You heard me talk about him on the That Magic episode. Um, but Aaron Lindsay comes from the gospel world and I'm the first non-gospel artist that he's worked with on a full project. He also did my Christmas album. You probably heard me say his name on the episode I did a year ago. I can't believe it's been a year. Um, Songversation, favorite time of year. And he's brilliant. He's a brilliant lyricist, singer, producer. Sometimes producers don't write lyrics and he does it all. And so he had this concept for Steady Love while we were working on the Christmas album. And I never could forget about it. And so when we were doing that worthy album, I said, can we do that song? And um, obviously he said yes. And so during the making of Worthy, which was from 20, was all of 2017 and all of 2018, we worked on this song. And a big part of the reason why I couldn't forget about the song is because I was in a relationship with someone for those two years. And everything that I said in this song is how he made me feel and how I saw him. That relationship has since run its course. You probably heard me talk about that in Songversation, That Magic, which you can go back and listen to anytime. I'm not gonna go deeply into my feelings about that relationship and all that, but I will say 
even though it ran its course, for the time that we were together, this song is exactly how he made me feel. I couldn't just make this stuff up out of thin air. This is how he made me feel. He's a good father. He's a good cook. He loves his basketball. He loves a good book. I tell you how I know he's the perfect one for me because he's a warrior in the streets, but he's a king in them sheets. That's how I felt about him. And I have to say, one of the things I've learned from that relationship is that, and I'm I'm now like full grown in my early 40s and I'm just now getting here where I'm learning that I can't go into relationships thinking that they're all going to last forever. I have to go into the relationship knowing that it's a lesson and a journey and to get the most out of it. And so for me, it didn't have to be a 15 year long relationship that started with marriage to be steady. Now, I have to say this, Aaron's been married for I think 18 years with three children. And so he does have that quintessential steady love. And so I'm thankful that we were able to put our minds together to create this song, Steady Love, and to create this story. Because at its essence, Steady Love is a song about commitment. Because if life's gonna be crazy anyway, I wanna do it with him. This is a song about commitment. And um, again, although that relationship did not end in marriage, it started with the commitment and we were committed to the end. (laughs) I'm not going to even lie. It got crazy at the end. It really did. But this is the first long-term relationship I've been in that I was not completely torn up about when it ended. I'm not saying I wasn't hurt. I was was hurt and I was devastated and I hated the way that it ended and I hated how upset we were with each other at the end. But this year, last time, this time last year, I went home for Christmas and when I came home from Christmas, I decided to have a staycation in my condo and I literally got on the floor I bought this little beanbag thing and I sat on the floor on my yoga mat on the beanbag from December 26th to January 7th. I didn't watch TV. I didn't do any internet stuff. I just wrote, read, meditated, thought, prayed. I had some phone conversations with some of my um, favorite thinkers and spiritual teachers and mentors and they guided me. I actually had a 4 a.m guided meditation and conversation with my friend, Queen Afua, who I got to know when I lived in New York. And she's actually a mutual friend of the man I was in a relationship with and I, a mutual influence and friend. And so I called her and she, we did a guided meditation. That was a great turning point. As a matter of fact, that was on the 27th of December. And so that was a nice um, taking off point for the healing of that relationship. And by the time I emerged January 7th, I was free of the pain and um, grateful for the lessons and ready to rebuild myself because there was a lot of financial stuff involved in that relationship and so I had to rebuild my finances. And so all was in alignment though because I had an album coming out. My album came out February 15th, and so about a month from the day I got up off the floor, I was releasing my album, Worthy, into the world, and then I went on tour, and that helped me to rebuild my finances, and it helped me to focus on my life and my future instead of my past, and 
this is going to be strange to say, but that whole tour, a lot of those songs were about that relationship, but I didn't think about him when I sang the songs on stage. What I thought about was the audience, and I thought about my relationship journey as a whole. Because at this point, I've been in a few long-term relationships, and I thought about it more in general with the lessons. And I think it's a good place to be. Um, I can certainly say I feel good about things. And every time I say a year ago, it feels strange because this year flew by. 2018 felt long with the end of that relationship, with the passing away of my beloved Blue Miller, with all the struggle to get the album done and moving. And I lived in all these different places at the same time. I talk a little bit about that in um, Songversation, The Worthy Tour. I think I also talk about it in Songversation, That Magic. I can't remember which episodes I detail, but I talk about moving into a new house and all the stuff that went with that. And so I was scattered and heartbroken and heartbroken over blue, devastated over blue and struggling and struggling with all this stuff. And it made the year feel really long. <laughs> 2019, I was busy. I went through some hard stuff. I will talk about that in a minute, but it felt so fast from last December to this December today, as I'm sitting here recording Songversation, Steady Love, it is December 11th. It's the new moon on December 11th. And just knowing that it was all a year ago is wild. But it was. And so I think that um, now's a good time to talk about what it felt like to tour with this song, Steady Love. So let's get into that in this next segment. So this year I did two tours, um, one in the spring, one in the fall. Just a moment ago I said, I can't remember which episode I talked about what in, but there's one very memorable episode for me and that is the last one, which was Songversation, The Worthy Tour. Because I did that episode because I needed some place to put all of my feelings, all of my hurt feelings, all of my wild and excited experiences about the tour. And um, after that tour, I said to myself, I don't know if I'm gonna do any more touring. You can go back and listen to that episode and you'll understand exactly why I said that. I also released this viral video, uh, I'm sorry, a video that went viral of me talking in my car. I call it Songversation, Songversation, The Pieces I Am. I had to think about that for a second. I called it Songversation, The Pieces I Am because I had just come from seeing the Toni Morrison documentary of the same name. And it really struck me in a lot of ways. But what I really was responding to and what I really was hurt by was the depth of her struggle and how much it had to do with gender and race that even the great Toni Morrison had to overcome the struggles of gender and race and the judgment of all these white men to be able to create her world-changing, um, world-class, history-making literature. Even her, 
So it made me wonder, what chance do I have? And so when I saw that documentary, I had just come off tour and I started sharing how I felt extremely underpaid and underseen. And I think at that time, the reason why I did something I rarely do, which is pull out my phone and talk into my phone, I think the reason why I did that is because I wanted my pain and my truth to be witnessed. Because the truth is that for me and a lot of other people I know, I'm not the only person I've heard say this, the music industry is almost emotionally abusive. Like all this stuff happens that is blatantly sexist and racist and then they tell you if you say anything about it, you might not get what you're trying to get, so don't say anything. And it's crazy to abuse a person and tell them not to say anything. And so it's a radical act for me to just speak up and say how I feel, especially when it's something that is critical of the industry I'm in and fearing that perhaps it will put me even further down the line of someone who should receive their just due. And so that's probably the real reason why I picked up my phone and made that video that day because Toni Morrison was a person who spoke up. If you saw the documentary, you saw her speak up. And I feel I've reached a point in my life, in my maturity, where I can say what I want to say. And so I've been saying what I want to say. And so in that video that day, I said, I may not tour again. And I meant ever again. That was in July. And then September came and I went back on tour. I felt strong enough. I felt like I had talked to my team enough. I felt that they, they heard me and that we were gonna be able to do this. And the saddest thing happened. And it is that all the stuff that I was so hurt by in the first tour in the spring, all that stuff picked up where it left off. Um, the logistics of the tour that is actually someone else's job the logistics of the tour were not taken care of and I had to suffer through so much while at the same time being soft enough to do my performances. And it was hard. I feel like it aged me, it hurt me, and it made me want to quit. And, you know, I thought if it's going to be like this, I'm not doing this shit. And I got out on the tour starting September 15th in my favorite city, Seattle, and Everything picked up where it left off. Things were not in order. The logistics were a mess. And I had to struggle through it. And so the first show in uh, Tacoma, Washington, before the show, I had a complete, sheer, utter meltdown because I felt so hurt and disrespected. And I felt like my greatest fear had come true. And I was under so much pressure that I was trying to deliver for the fans because I do a VIP meet and greet before the show and I could not pull it together. But I still walked out onto that stage and tried to do the VIP meet and greet. And as soon as I opened my mouth to start singing, I started crying because singing is nothing but emoting for me. And if I have some other emotions on top, those are going to come out first. <laughs> And so I'm not, again, I'm not going to go too far into this, but the reason why I was so um, devastated in that moment was because of the, the lack of respect. But also in that very moment, 
it was a lack of support because I have a team that helps me get on stage every day. And I didn't know until I got out onto the road that some of the team wasn't gonna be there because the people that I trusted and paid to do the logistics didn't give me all the information. So I get there and I'm kind of alone getting myself on stage. I can do it, but I need to know in advance so that I have all the tools to do it. I didn't have the tools, I'm trying to get on stage, I'm trying to serve my VIP and I break down sobbing. And what I know and have learned about myself is that I cannot hold things in. And so I sat the, the offending, I sat the offending, I, I sat the offending parties that were present down because some of them weren't on the road and that's probably why they mess shit up because they're not out there. But the offending parties who were there, I sat them down, we had a conversation and the conversation was very fulfilling for me and for them. We both cried <laughs> and then I called my mother and she was able to calm me down. And you know, my mother and I have a close relationship, but she's not the person I go to to take care of my emotions. I, I had to learn that in my adult life that she's not that for me. She's other things. My mother's my backbone, but when I'm like, need someone to take care of my emotions, she's not the one. But I was so, I mean, I was completely out of it to the place, to the point where my face turned a different color. Because when I came back to, my stylist and my assistant both asked me, did you fix your makeup? And I said, no. I just, the color came back to my face. And that, that's a real story. And so I said that all to say when I called my mother, because even though she's not my soft place to land every time, when shit really hits the fan, she's the one. And so I called her and I was sobbing and she said, what's wrong? And like she was panicked and I started telling her that things weren't right. And she prayed and my mother is so funny. There's this thing that she says when she's about to go into a very potent prayer. And she says, she says, okay, Holy Spirit. Okay, God, this is easy for you. And so she started praying. And at the end, somewhat, some t at some point in the prayer, she said, India's music heals so many people. Let it heal her today. I've never heard her say that before, and I never thought of it that way. And I got calm, and it's like my brain came into a different state. Like my eyes could see things different. I could hear again. I don't know how to explain it. But I calmed down. I came to. The color came back to my face, and I got ready for the show. And I, I told the audience that I had a meltdown earlier that day. I apologized to my VIP. We did our VIP meet and greet after the show. And I went on to have, you know, a fine show. Um, I said all of this because I had to paint the picture of how healing these songs really are for me. And while Steady Love is the single and it's a hit song at radio, it's not really the song that gets the most... Um, reaction from an audience. And it's actually hard to say what song does get the most reaction because different regions of the country react different ways. If you want to hear more about that, again, you can listen to Songversation Worthy, episode 14. But what I can say is that we would play Steady Love nearing the end of the show. And it was always a light moment. Um, a big part of my songversation worthy tour is the screen which has quotes and images and some videos and during the show 
we would play the Steady Love video. And we would often do that magic and Steady Love back to back. So it was a lot of eye candy on that screen. And so we would play um, the video for Steady Love and the audience would just be like, they would get light too. Like, you know, we would go, we go, I go a lot of places in my conversation. We start with a prayer, we ground ourselves. Some of the songs are, you know, really heartfelt and quiet. Some of the songs I whisper, I sing this quiet on some songs. And um, some of them are loud and some of them are old school. Some of them are new and some of them were hits and some of them were fan favorites and all kind of different stuff. But then I would get to Steady Love and it was like people would just feel like, hey, you know, like this is my jam. I'm like rocking their hips. And this is before it was big at radio. This is before it was number one at radio. And so my stylist, her name is Jalene Coggins. She does a lot of the videos that you see on my Instagram, like a lot of the best ones of me from behind or her taking pictures of my booty. Um, those are her Jalene. She's my stylist, like I said. And she said, I feel like something big is happening right under our nose. And I felt it too. And one of those things was that the song was going up the charts. And so, but before we knew it was going to hit number one, before I even knew it was climbing the charts like that, it was like a party would erupt every time we would sing Steady Love. And that's really what I would think about. I would not think about the relationship. I would just think about the people and what it means to be grown-ups who have been in and out of different relationships and how it feels and how we heal and how we try again and how we still continue to believe in commitment and love, even though we've been hurt. And, you know, all this, I think about the, general, the generalities of being human and in love and out of love and trying again and stuff like that. But people would kick it. Like, it would be like, hey, boom, 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 hey. Like, people would have their hands in the air and rocking and dancing. And I always, always loved that because it brought the journey full circle. From coming out, the audience screaming, we sing a big song, we ground ourselves, we go to all these places emotionally, and we come out at the end light and knowing that, you know, even though we go through all this crazy stuff it's always going to be okay because that's really what life is like and you know I've been through as much pain as anybody else even 2018 losing blue but I always feel like life is ups and downs and so you're going to be up again and you're going to be down again and allowing for the dynamic nature of life makes it possible to have a of fundamental base of well-being because you know when it's wrong it's not bad and when it's good it's not forever in that it's all a part of life it took me a long time to learn that but I get it now and so it was like steady love was the bookend to beginning the songversation worthy tour with the song I am light that talks about us you know being a understanding our self-worth and our beauty and our light, despite all the darkness that is in and around all of us, it's like the show would take a journey, an arc from, hey, we're all okay, even though we go through all this stuff. And in the end, let's just party and celebrate life. And that's what Steady Love always felt like in concert. And it's what it feels like to me personally, when I really think about my own journey and that every, every significant relationship I've been in has ended. But I'm sitting here smiling now because 
this last relationship taught me that I can come out of it and I can be okay. It is not going to take me five years or 10 years to heal from it. I can say, okay, these are my lessons. Let me deal with the pain. Let me cry it out and let me get up and keep moving. And so, you know, at the end of the day, steady love is about commitment. And I'm sure I will commit again. I know I will. God will bring somebody else that I feel that way about into my life. And so I look forward to that. So what else do I want to say about steady love? Let's get into that in this next segment. You know, this is in honor of our beloved national treasure, the one of the greatest songwriters of all time, Stevie Wonder. I think I've said this in one of the songversations before. I heard Barry Gordy giving a speech about Stevie Wonder and he said, I was, it was in person, I was in the room and he was talking about Stevie and he said, um, there are some artists that come every decade, there's some artists that come every hundred years and there are some artists that come just once. And Stevie Wonder is one of those artists that come just once. And so at the end of the fall songversation tour in the West Coast, after everything I had been through, and I mean, it was a lot. Um, let me just say this too about the West Coast tour. It almost ended because we did the first two shows in Washington State, and then we went to Sacramento. And then somehow somebody allowed the itinerary to include me flying into Sacramento the day of the show. And then I was supposed to fly to LA the day of the show. And then I was supposed to fly to Phoenix, Arizona the day of the show. Now the people I work with, I've been working with this with them since the fall of 2015 and I've never gone into any performance the day of, never. I always get in at least the day before, if not two days before to ground myself because I'm slow moving in that way. And the fact that they had this itinerary this way, I thought I have to honor myself. And so either they're gonna fix this or I'm going home. And that's saying a lot because I love my fans. I love this album worthy. I love the, this iteration of the tour and everything we've developed it into. I love it. And so the idea of saying, this is hurting me enough that I will go home is big. And instead of going home, they chartered two private planes so that I was able to do the shows. And so, from the meltdown of that first show to the fabulous LA show, that was my favorite show, which Lyric Bent attended that show. And we played the that magic video in front of him. I, it was my goal to embarrass him. I think I, I did that sufficiently. Um, and uh, the show ended in San Diego on September 30th and my birthday is October 3rd. And so if you know me, you know I go hard for my birthday. There's a very authentic feeling of just being lit up from the inside that comes over me around my birthday, always. I always feel that way all the way through Libra season. I just feel really alive and like effervescent and incandescent and, and like the most blessed person ever and most, my most blessed time of year. And so my birthday was coming and I knew that I could do almost anything that I wanted for my birthday because I live by design, a life that is very free. And I couldn't think of where to go. I didn't have any time to plan anything because the tour took up all my energy, all my bandwidth. I couldn't plan something on a whim because there was nothing in my heart that I just knew I wanted to go do. 
Um, in the past, I spent a lot of time in Hawaii, but Hawaii's different. A lot of things on the earth are different right now just because things are shifting. And so I didn't know where to go. And so we had to drive from San Diego to LA and from LA, we were all gonna fly home. And then I asked my travel agent, you know, maybe there would be a good place to go. And in fact, I also asked David Banner where his favorite places to go on the West Coast were. And he had some ideas like Big Sur and going up the West Coast. And then my travel agent said, what about the Malibu Beach Inn? And for me, LA always held a connotation of work. You get in, you get out. Like it's not my place that I wanna hang out. I don't love it there. And so I didn't know that Malibu was different than LA. I had no idea. To me, it's all work. But in 2019, every time I went to LA, like I went to do a pre-album release thing at Stevie Wonder's radio station, which I'm going to get back to the Stevie Wonder conversation in a minute. I did a pre-album release thing with him in, in um, January. I did some other stuff in LA in February. And every time I did it, I stayed by the beach. I stayed in Santa Monica or Venice. And so when she said, how about Malibu? I also did a private party. I forgot about that. Probably in August, something like that. And it was in Malibu. And you know, it was beautiful. It was a house right, right on the beach. Like the beach went under the balcony at this house. And so when my travel agent said, what about Malibu? I thought, can't hurt. And so I stayed at the Malibu Beach Inn for my birthday, and I loved it. The hotel rooms there look like a movie. They're perfectly modern. The floors are wood. The ceilings are vaulted. And all the rooms, and it's a small boutique hotel, which I love, and all the rooms are right on the beach. So you hear that white noise of the beach all day. And I love white noise because I hear music in my head a lot. I deal with a lot of sound, and so that sound that's not exactly music because music makes me think and feel is so perfect for me and there was beach air you know um, ocean breeze blowing and it was sunny and some days it was cloudy and one day it rained and it was my birthday so I felt alive and my favorite restaurant Nobu was less than a five minute walk from the hotel so I'm birthdaying hard and I also tell myself, since I'm in LA, I'm going to go see Stevie Wonder. He calls me every year without fail for my birthday, which I count a huge blessing because who can say that? And not only that, who can say that Stevie Wonder calls them on their every birthday, but who can say that their hero calls them every year on their birthday? And he called me and I, you know, actually I saw him two days before my birthday and I told him I was in LA and I wanted to come visit and I went to visit. And we sat, he was playing his harpeggi and we sat in his living room area and just talked about stuff. And he said some of the really most beautiful things to me. Um, and one of the things he said was that I was one of his favorite songwriters of my generation. He said, because I sing about the vision of love that he believes in. And I also learned that day that his niece, Nikki, who was I'm staying with him a lot. We all have heard that he's having um, a health crisis with his kidneys. And so Nikki was there with him going through everything, all the doctor's appointments and stuff. And 
Stevie Wonder is her favorite music, but her second favorite music is mine. And so she would play it for her grandchildren and for Stevie's children. And she said that she would play that, that playlist every day. And I said, so you're saying that Stevie would hear my music at his doctor's appointments, you know, like several times a week? And she said, mm-hmm. And I said, what does he do when he hears a song? She said, he'd just be rocking back and forth, you know, like patting his hand on the table. And so I could almost cry right now thinking about the fact that my hero in his health crisis would hear my music every day. Like I just, that's one of my greatest gifts, I think, to be able to gift someone who's given me so much. And so I said all that to say that I think the reason why he said that is because during this process he heard or more closely heard a lot of the songs of mine that he didn't really, really know. And that touches my soul and my spirit. <laughs> He's given me love. So steady. <laughs> so when he said that, it made me feel seen and loved and accomplished. And so going back to the beginning of this segment, when I said to myself I didn't know if I was going to tour anymore is because, if, is because the chase, and I say that in that viral video, the music industry is a chase. It's par for the course that somebody's dangling, that the industry itself, this entity, this industry is dangling a carrot and you're chasing it. And very few of us get to be the number one artist. Like right now, Lizzo is the artist of the year on the cover of Time magazine. Only one person gets that. You know, I didn't get stuff like that. I was beloved. I had big albums. There's a time when I was a big artist, really big, like one of the culture defining artists for a t short time. But I wasn't number one, you know, like number one. And so I got tired of chasing that carrot. And in the midst of all that, of being sued many times and being betrayed many times and being not taken care of, like I had just come off that tour where I wasn't taken care of properly, I was just tired. And when he said that, it started making me think about the difference between rewards and awards. Because one of the things that I continue to chase are the awards. That's a whole nother conversation. I might get into that in this next segment. But before I get into that, I want to say that having my hero in uh, the type of singer-songwriter that comes along once and my friend say to me that I'm one of the, his favorite songwriters and that I'm one of the best of my generation is a reward that I could have never imagined I wanted. It wasn't, it's not even a carrot because I would never imagine that that's something I could experience. You know, and now that I'm thinking about it, I see rewards more as experiences and awards more as um, things you gain, acquirements. Rewards are experiences and awards are acquire, acquiring, acquirements. <laughs> Let me try that one more time. Rewards are experiences and awards are acquirements. I think I believe that. I believe that this day, December 11, 2019, I believe that this day. And I've had some beautiful, beautiful experiences, but there's so much that I wanted to acquire and gain that I didn't. And a lot of that has to do with awards, award shows, literally little shiny statues, recognitions, 
a lot of that has eluded me. I was never like on the cover of People Magazine or People's Most Beautiful People or Vanity Fair, Music Issue or Rolling Stone or Vibe or none of that. I had a couple of covers, a few, but not many and none of the much, um, much sought after ones. And so, matter of fact, let's get into that in this next segment because I might be ready to make this announcement about what I want to do next with my career. In this next segment, let's get into it. Oh, but before we get into that, let me say, Malibu, California, was a wonderful experience. I stayed at the Malibu Beach Inn for five days, and then I rented a house where my best friend who came to California from Memphis for just 36 hours just to see me, my stylist, Jalene, one of my oldest friends, a singer named Larne. You can look her up. You might remember her. And uh, one of my good friends, Dogmar. And then we had some good male energy, my friend Knowledge Bennett, and also my friend Supreme Dow, who ended up um, doing some private chef work for us. We spent some days there at the beach house. The guys didn't stay, but they were there on occasion. And the girls, we all hung out at the beach with loud music playing and beautiful living room and eating food and talking and watching movies and having fun. And I had the best birthday. It was a wonderful healing after that horrible experience of that tour. And then, you know, after my birthday ended, I came home for one day and went back out to finish my tour. I did two dates in Maryland and I did one date in New York, which is a private show for the Red Cross. And then I came home um, October 17th, and I rested until November 17th, where I did the 17th and 18th were um, two shows in Nashville, Tennessee with the Nashville Symphony Orchestra. And then after that, I decided to end my year. I was supposed to have a show yesterday, December 10th, and today, December 11th, in uh, San Francisco, two symphony shows. But I had to pull out of the shows because I needed to take care of my health. Dental work, some extensive dental work was a part of it, and some other things that I choose not to go into here, personal things. But I really needed to take care of my health, and so I woke up today. I actually was at the dentist uh, yesterday. <laughs> so I woke up today knowing I wasn't going to go out and that I was going to just take time to heal and be quiet. And I decided to do this podcast, and so... From September 15th to today, December 11th, that has been my journey. And um, let's get into this next segment about my future journey. So let me see how I say this. I have made some decisions. Because I came into this year making a pact with myself that I was going to go hard as I could and make decision about how that felt later. And as hard as I could means it refers to how I choose to write out my album cycle. So an album cycle is the time that you spend from the time that the album is released to the time that the album is no longer being actively worked by the label at radio and at retail. And I'm still kind of in album cycle, but album cycle generally lasts about a year. And uh, going really hard with that meant doing as many interviews as I could. And it meant um, touring. And 
As I've mentioned several times on this podcast already, I went on tour twice this year. And the second time I went, because I had committed to it, even though I had a feeling that it was going to be very difficult, because I was already at my limit with all of it from the, from the spring tour. But I had no idea it was going to be as difficult as it was. But I went because I was committed to doing this year full out, going hard during this album cycle. And now that I've been through the full album cycle, um, there are certain patterns that continue to come up throughout my career of like having non-supportive management um, or management that doesn't support me in the appropriate ways or you know, struggling with touring, um, not being paid guarantees that I feel are big enough for the production I bring and for the artist that I am. All that stuff came up again this year and I worked through it. I pushed through it and I realized that I'm tired of pushing through. Things need to change and and the thing that really needs to change is me. And so I'm restructuring my business and I want to just handle it a different way. And so I'm working on that. Um, I went back to Malibu to see Stevie, but also to um, spend a certain time of year, which for me, like, is always right around Thanksgiving, is a time of year when I feel like I'm starting fresh. It's my own personal new year of sorts. And I went back to Malibu because I wanted to be by the beach, and Malibu was a new discovery for me, so I went back. In uh, late, I'm sorry, I went back in late November and I stayed until early December. And while I was there, I spent time really thinking about how I want to restructure things. And so I want to restructure the way my business is handled, that whole artist artist manager paradigm thing. I am ready to be done with that. But also I started thinking about what else needs to be let go and what else needs to be replaced. And that is that dangling carrot. So let's get into that for a second. The awards and the rewards. So this trip back to Malibu was precipitated by the Grammy nominations. When the nominations came out, it was a couple days after these um, Nashville symphony shows. And... I didn't even know they were coming out because I kind of tune out from all that now. And the reason why I tune out from all of it is because I have a traumatic relationship with the Grammys. Here's why. In 2001, my first album came out. February 2002, I go to the Grammys for the first time. I'm nominated for seven Grammys. I leave the awards ceremony that night 0 for 7. And the next year I go back, none of the black categories are televised. None. No black categories. The only black artists that walked across that stage in performance that night were the Roots, and they were playing behind Eminem. And so since none of the black categories were aired, I won two Grammys that night, but most people didn't know because it wasn't televised. So it was all anticlimactic because the first year when I didn't win, everybody was talking about it. The next year I went to, nobody knows. And it continues to be this ongoing political relationship with the Grammys over the years. I've since learned a lot of different things about politics. There's a thing called a voting block, how people can get their artists in and, you know, how it's all political because we, 
as artists want to believe that the Grammys are the night when it's about the music. Some of the other shows are about chart positions. Like you watch the American Music Awards and you know who's going to win because the winner is always the one who is highest on the Billboard chart. It's how the show is structured. The Grammys is supposed to be about the music. You know, things can be different and we can see surprises and stuff like that. But there is a very, very political element. And I got caught up in someone else's political thing. And so a lot of the awards that could have been mine were denied me because of politics on the like um, the executive level, politics on the level of the executives. And so the head of my company, Kadar Massenberg, was never going to out-politicize Clive Davis, who was the head of the dominant artist that year's company. Clive Davis always wins. And so Having that experience, every time the Grammys would come around, I would get triggered. And not only triggered, but I would continue to have weird experiences too, like having an acoustic song that's nominated for best R&B song, which made me feel like it felt kind of racist, like because I'm a black artist, it gotta be an R&B song. There's nothing in here but vocal and guitar. I love the idea that I was nominated for best R&B song. I didn't win, but can I get into, what about, a folk category or singer-songwriter, something else, I don't know. But, you know, all that stuff that was, you know, blatantly political and racist and sexist, all that stuff always came ahead to a head for me every year around the Grammys. There was even a year, speaking of Stevie Wonder, that I was nominated with him for a song that he let me write the lyrics to. He had a song called, he had a whole album, his first album in 10 years, it's called A Time to Love. And the title track, he had a concept for the, for the song and he told me the story and I took it home and I wrote the lyrics. And the song was nominated, we didn't win, but even that year, like the Grammys wouldn't even give me a televised seat. And then Stevie Wonder came out and he opened the show that year with someone else and I'm sitting in this untelevised seat while he's up there on stage and we're nominated. Like just all the stuff, it was always hurtful. And I think of course that that trigger was planted inside of me from that first year. So even stuff that may not have hurt that bad, hurt, you know, so it was always something. So this year the nominations come out and um, I'm at home in Atlanta because I had to go visit my mother. And I wake up at my brother's house because my niece, Harper, cried when I told her I was not going to spend the night. And so I went and spent the night. I literally slept in her bed. <laughs> and then that morning, I woke up to find out that I was nominated for a Grammy. And the nomination was for the song Steady Love, which I thought was cool. I wasn't super excited because I don't get excited over the nominations anymore. Um, we'll get into that in a second, too. But I wasn't super excited because no more nominations came in. And it wasn't that I thought I needed to be nominated for a kajillion of them because I'm not an, you know, I'm not a I'm not one of those artists who are like at the forefront of being nominations in radio, airplay and stuff at this time in my career. So other people are in those categories and that's fine with me. I was disappointed because the album Worthy was not nominated for something. I didn't like that at all. And there are different a few different categories that the album could have been nominated in and it was in none of them, the album itself. And I don't like that at all. And it then flipped that trigger that I have inside of me of just feeling like I was never properly treated by the Grammys, okay? And so I was dealing with that but alone for 
a while, a week or two. I wasn't telling anybody how I felt. And then it started to bubble over. And then I started to feel funny. And then I made a trip, a plan for a trip to Seattle to visit my 94-year-old friend. Get to the airport. I don't have my wallet. I miss my plane. And I realize I'm running away. I get back home and I am all dressed with nowhere to go at 7 o'clock in the morning. And I realize I was going to Seattle because I was running away. Because I wanted to go somewhere and be by the water to work through my feelings. And then I realize I don't need to work through my feelings. What I need to do is give myself permission to feel what I feel. And so having this conversation right now is important for me because all of my career, everyone, literally every single person around me told me not to say anything about how I felt at the Grammys because it would make me look spoiled and like sour grapes. But what I want everyone listening to know is that the music industry truly is blatantly, outwardly racist and sexist and political. And so being a black woman in this world has this attacks the same way that being a black woman in the larger world or in corporate America or in any section of America has, that black tax is always there and then there's that black woman tax. It's always there. I've had to deal with it. I learned about it through being in the music industry. My first album came out when I was 25. I knew about racism as a whole, but I didn't know anything about the nuances of the black tax and the black female tax. I don't know if anybody ever says black female tax, but I do because I know about the nuances of it now and what it feels like. And so my conversation about the Grammys comes from that place, not just from being spoiled because I didn't win. I I do want to win. I, I would love to. But the way that I've been treated by the industry, I... I'm tired of being quiet about it. It hasn't been an easy journey at all. And when I came into it, I was naive enough to think that most people were good. And it's not that I don't think most people are good, but what I do think is that a lot more people than I ever believe, wanted to believe have biases against people based on race and gender. I wish it were not so, but it is so. And um, it's been hurtful. And going back to that Toni Morrison documentary, when you see it, you will see the struggle of a black woman in a white male-dominated world who is excellent at her craft and has to fight and has to be literally a history-making, historically excellent writer to get what she got. And that's after decades of being a book editor. She, Toni Morrison didn't quit her day job until she wrote Song of Solomon. That wasn't her third history-making book. And that's what triggered me that day. It was like, well, how fucking hard do we have to work to get the same thing that other artists get just by doing their work? It's a lot easier for white artists in this industry and in this world. It's a lot easier for white female artists in this industry and in this world. It's a lot easier for white executives, and it's a lot easier for black artists who are more accepted by the white mainstream in this world. And so all of that is what I feel when the Grammys come around. And so when I went to Malibu uh, the second time this year, I didn't go because I was trying to escape my feelings. I went because I wanted to give myself room 
to work through my feelings and to make some decisions about this next decade. Because this is not just, this is, as we're all realizing, this is the end of a decade. And in 2009, I made some decisions about my career that I have lived out. And I would say those decisions have been successful. I remember being 34 years old and saying, 10 years from now, I will not be able to blame any of those people who are hurting me or who are stifling me for anything. I need to know that I made decisions for myself. And that's exactly what I did this last 10 years. And I said earlier in this podcast, that I live a life that's very free by design. I took my freedom. And so I am very free. And so I flew to Malibu with my freedom. And when I got there, I went there to talk with myself about what I want to do in this next decade. But it's not just the beginning of another decade. This is also the end of the first 20 years of my music career. And so let's get deeper into my revelations in Malibu in this next segment. And so going back to the carrot, I decided in Malibu that I wasn't gonna chase the carrot anymore. I wanna be able to do my creative projects and I want them to be heard and seen, but I'm not trying to win. I'm not trying to be number one. I'm not trying to beat anybody. I'm not trying to be the hottest shit out there. I'm not, none of that. What I want is to do what I love and to be seen for it and to not be held down by anyone. That's what I want. But first of all, I don't wanna hold myself down. And so, Going back to this conversation about the trigger that's inside of me, I prayed a very simple prayer for God to just take the trigger away. And so by the time I left Malibu, I was on my balcony smiling. Oh, and I forgot this part. A big part of the reason why I chose Malibu is because I saw that it was gonna have like a lot of rain. You know, it never rains in Southern California. But I saw there was gonna be a lot of rain. And I thought to myself, rain at the beach? sign me up. I love rain. I love cloudy days. I love all the negative ions of rain and the beach. I love all of it. So I saw that that was going to be happening out there in Malibu and I went and it gave me a lot of time to really feel good and to ponder these things. And I prayed a simple prayer that God would just take the trigger away. And so by the time I left Malibu, the last day it was sunny. I stood on my balcony and I thought to myself, also I did a lot of meditating. There's a meditation studio in Malibu called The Mindry, which is a name they made up, <laughs> kind of like laundromat, but it's called The Mindry. And I did a lot of meditation classes where I was able to deepen my meditation practice. And in the process of deepening my meditation practice, I was able to get out of my mind and to have moments of clarity that just they, that flash in. And in those meditations, I kept seeing, do what you want to do. What do you want to do? And that's an interesting question for me to ask myself because I always have a goal in mind. This time, I had to remind myself that all those thoughts that would come up like, I would love to do this, or I should do that, or I want to try this, or what I really want to do in 2020, I had to remind myself that those thoughts are the things I want. And so I stood on my balcony the last day before I left Malibu, and what I felt was joy about the um, Grammy nomination for Steady Love. And I had to remember 
how bad it really can be. Because when I put out the album Songversation, I didn't get any nominations. And for those of you who are my Soulbird family, you know that the song I Am Light is important to me and has gone on to be important to a lot of people. And I released it twice. I talk about it in this podcast series. You hear me talk about it in the Songversation I Am Light. But I released that song twice because I feel like the first time it wasn't heard. And so the second time I released the song I Am Light, I got nominated for a Grammy for Best New Age Album. Um, and I was able to sing that song at the Grammy pre-show. And that was huge because I know how bad it can get. Like sometimes the Grammys can just ignore me altogether. And so I had to remember that, like it could be so much worse. And so Steady Love was nominated for a Grammy and you know, like that's hot. And I had to let go of the disappointment of Worthy not being nominated because it's just what it is. It's where I am at this time. And I also had to remember that it's other people's chance. Other people are in those categories and I'm not saying I should take anyone's place. Everybody has their time and the, it's different, you know, it's people's time for different things at different times. And so even though I wasn't winning, there was a couple years where I, my name dominated the Grammy ceremonies, even though it was because I lost, it's still, I was a dominant name. And so I had to remember all of that. And I left uh, Malibu celebrating everything that I had accomplished in 2019, celebrating the clarity about what I want to do in 2020, but especially celebrating the clarity about what I wanted for, from 2020 to 2030. And realizing that I'll be in my mid-50s in 10 years. And what is it that I want to create? And realizing again, like I said to myself in 2009, I can't blame anybody else. And so my, my best friend, who I've mentioned three times now in this episode, she said, you know, gratitude is important. And when she said it to me is before I went out to Malibu and I'm like, okay, okay, gratitude. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tell me something that works. But what I know when I'm calm and what I got out of my meditations was that it really does pay to be, to look around at what you have to be grateful for. And then also to ask yourself, what is the narrative when you feel you can't find gratitude in something. And so here's what I realized, that my narrative around not being nominated for worthy was, here these assholes go again. They're gonna ignore me again. It's gonna be a crazy, you know, heartbreaking experience again with the Grammys and, and how dare they and blah, 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 blah. But what I had to realize is that number one, steady love is something to be grateful for. Number two, I have no control over that. Number three, I'm a black woman in America and there are certain things that come along with it and the politics and all that. Yes, but also being a black woman in America has been the biggest part of what's allowed me to make the music that's made the impact that it's made. The song I Am Not My Hair came out of who I am. All my songs come out of who I am. And I've been able to reach people just like me, other black women who struggle with a lot of the same things I struggle with, but also I've been able to reach other people inside of their struggles, whatever they are, because of my own struggles. And so I had to remember that, that I have everything to be grateful for, for being a black woman. I love being a black woman, even when it's hard. And I had to remember that. And so that opened a floodgate of gratitude. And then also awards and rewards. To have Stevie Wonder say he thinks I'm great at what I do, I'm a great songwriter, 
reward. To know that there are thousands of people, women and men, across this world who are enlightened and uplifted or fortified or could use my music as a tool. All the people who walked down the aisle and did their first dance to steady love this year. All the women who did their big chop to I'm not my hair cancer patients and women who just wanted to go natural. Um, I heard people walking down the aisle to He Heals Me. People in church singing He Heals Me. Um, the song There's Hope being part of the Obama first Obama campaign. Like video, people still talk about video and how it's helped them to understand their womanhood. Uh, Heart of the Matter being part of the big Sex in the City movie. Like all the rewards I've had, I have so much to be grateful for. And I left Malibu realizing that. And that the awards, I have a few of those too. Because I have four Grammys and I have NAACP Image Awards. One that I won with Stevie Wonder. I won a Grammy with Herbie Hancock. I have, I think, three BET awards. I have a nice amount of awards too. And even though I've been overlooked more times than I've been seen, it's my first time really realizing what it means that when people say, well, being nominated is its own um, gift. And I understand now that it is because it means that you're in the game and you're seen. And so I left Malibu with gratitude for my rewards and my awards. And that cleared up space in my mind to look at this next decade because the carrot. I realized I can stop chasing that carrot right now. And I decided to just stop. I'm, I'm done. And once I said that, there were a lot of other things that just went away inside of me. A lot of anxieties and a lot of things that I would be doing. Even right now, December 11th, places I would be and things I'd be doing, I'm not doing it. Because I want to put my energy in other places. And then... Once I got home, I was in my meditation space and I realized that there's a carrot that I was dangling in front of myself. So I'm going to make this a two-part episode because I want to talk more about this carrot, what it was called. Yes, it had a name. <laughs> I have an announcement I want to make that's very important to me. I have a profession I want to make that is very important to me. And of course, we're going to have our closing affirmation and final goodbyes. So join me here for part two of Songversation Steady Love. All right. See you there.